Thanks for stopping by Badass Records Podcast. Follow on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube and where you stream. It's the Badass Records Podcast. New episodes Thursdays. Talking people, music, and badass records. I mean, it's unique to begin with, uh-huh. um, but it has felt familiar yeah. since I first came across it. And uh, my son, he, so by the back door, there's a, just a, like a regular old count month calendar with picture. My sister makes it, has it made for Christmas and it's pictures of the kids and blah, blah, blah. And then there's a huge one that has all of our shit that's going on. Uh-huh. And I'll write guest names and uh, sometimes I'll pencil in the day that their episode will come out just so that it's on the brain a lot. Yeah. Um, and so my son will, the, they sit, they eat breakfast um, right there. And sometimes he'll just be, he's a little, a little slow to get going in the morning, and sometimes he'll just like see somebody's name and be like, Till Willis. And I'm like, That's just, you know. And then the other day, he's like, uh, uh, Peregrine Honig. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, Peregrine. I don't, yeah, this, I, this is, these are their names. Yeah. So it just so happened he was looking, he needed to look something up on my phone. So he has my phone and he's across the table from me. And it was the first time that you emailed me that message came in, and he goes, Fritz Hutchison yeah. just messaged you. I was like, oh, cool. Uh, and then that, whenever that was, a handful of weeks ago, yeah. every once in a while, he's like, have you met Fritz Hutchison? Hutchison? Yeah. I'm like, Fritz. No, dude. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's That's funny. funny. Yeah. He's a goofball. Yes. Well, my name is a challenge and a delight yeah. to many. <laughs> um, I mean... It, it conjures, it, even though it's unique. It's like it, you get the, uh, the train. Uh, oh, the that, Fritz's Railroad Restaurant. Yeah, yeah, and then oh yeah, uh, lots and lots of people uh, from Hutchison, Kansas. Uh huh. You know, they've all almost all exclusively refer to it as Hutch. Uh huh. Or from Hutch, blah, yeah. blah blah. So it's like this interesting combo. Yeah. Oh man, I went to Fritz's like every birthday for a while. Did you really? Oh my god, I would like I own the place. Just nice. Like, <laughs> Awesome. Where's my train? <laughs> Bring me my conductor hat. So St. Peter's K through eight for you. Oh yeah. And then where for high school? Briefly Rockhurst. Okay. And then Paseo. Really? Yeah. Um. Why the switch? Oh my god. Why not? Just any reason. Okay. Uh. Like I mean, it was kind of like you can't fire me. I quit. Okay. Gotcha. You know? Gotcha. <laughs> um. I. It just didn't. It was not yeah. a bad fit, you know. Uh, tell me how to grow my hair. Yeah. You know. Uh, and also, I was just like kind of fucking off in class, you know, just sure. like not performing well academically sure. and uh, got a few warnings. And then, you know, Paseo is the art school, and it was clear that all I really cared about was playing drums. So, drums. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's uh, what I started out okay. doing. Okay. And so, all of my like, studying of music is through like the lens of drumming very cool yeah very cool 
Paseo, so it was, I mean, it was a good time, Paseo? Yeah, I mean. I, was, I don't think it, I've ever known anybody that, that went there. Oh, I mean, it, it was kind of wild. I mean, there's a lot of musicians, great players that came out of there. There's a guy named Ryan Lee who's okay. like, just like one of the best musicians I've ever known, but he had, he graduated like right before I got there. So like nothing, I, I was like haunted by the ghost of Ryan, like nothing I could do was ever oh, good shit. enough, you know? Cause okay, he was yeah. just, he's incredible, you nice. know? And just like, um, just imagine, you know, I don't know. Uh, Logan Richardson, the saxophone okay. player. Uh, he went there. These guys are older than me. What is, what are the crossroads? 47th and, uh, Paseo. Okay. Like when you're when you're driving down Paseo, like right by where that Gates is. Okay. Where the big where Cleaver and uh Yes. Yeah. Uh Brush Creek okay. Boulevard are right there. There's like a big staircase and there's stone letters that say Paseo okay. that come down okay. it. And huh. th- those stairs go up to the school building. Okay. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean it's <sighs> around the corner um you know, I, there's a million um things pulling her in the direction of St. Teresa's and I mm-hmm. just I hope she I mean I know she's going to shadow me age I hope she will consider them equally as opposed to just doing what's pulling her mm-hmm. and then and then my boy is not too far beyond beyond and it's like you know is he is he gonna look at me age is he maybe gonna look at Barstow or is it just gonna be rockers the rock uh-huh uh-huh Rock State. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, oh. my dad um <laughs> my dad went to Rockhurst uh high school and college. Okay. And just really wanted nothing more than for me <clears throat> to go there. In fact, I, he had me come stay at his place uh the night before the entrance exam and it's like the only time I remember him like single-handedly putting together a hot breakfast for me. <laughs> and I did, I'm a terrible test taker, but I somehow did well. Is that breakfast? It must have, and, yeah, I, and yeah. I was like, I'm still not going to, I love you, but I'm not going to go to Rockers. And he was like, you know, what? yeah. My dad used to like kind of threaten me with Paseo. Oh shit. You know, like if you, <laughs> if you don't get your act together, you're going to end up at Paseo. And it's like exactly what happened, but it ended up being great. I mean, I loved it. It and just because I mean I don't know that school the the school is it was a bizarre time to go there mm. because of what was happening in the district at the time. Like I, I don't know if you were paying losing attention. Losing accreditation. Like, like, losing accreditation, I think, was going on, and there was like a mass like consolidation. They sold a bunch of the school buildings. They sold the Westport High building, and like several schools closed and they consolidated the student bodies. So like, Oh wow. Between my junior and senior year, there was like an uptick of like, like 200 kids or something, you know, something crazy. Like, and, and the way that Paseo, it was set up as like a, it's like the magnet arts school. And so like, you're supposed to audition they have like majors at that school. So I was like an instrumental music major. You can wow. be like a theater major or a, uh, a choral music, dance, theater tech was even one, visual arts and creative writing. I think those were all of them. But you had to like pick a major and sure. then your block scheduling revolved around that, which was really cool because like at Rockhurst, you got like one elective. Oh, and wow. for, or maybe two. I, I, 
put, you know, don't like grill me on my high school schedule. Sure. But like, I just remember at Rockers, it was like, okay, you get to do band. Okay. And like, that's it. But at Paseo, I was doing jazz band and concert band and a theater class. Cool. And a theater tech class sometimes, like, you know, wow. just depending on the semester or whatever. But it was like really heavy on the creative yeah. classes scheduling, which was awesome. Yeah. And then like the the academic classes were like kind of a joke. Like, <laughs> you know, it just like was not well run and the student energy was crazy. And you could tell that like so many of the teachers were burned out and like not just kind of like letting kids have the run of the place just because it was like what's the point of even like trying to be a disciplinarian because like it's out of control and like so there were some kids that would just like go to school every day would just like never go to like just wander the halls all day and and go to their choir class but nothing else you know it was just like kind of wow anarchy wow uh which was really fun for me because you know i was like i could go to math class or i could go to (laughs) <laughs> chipotle <laughs> like right, what is yeah. uh, like so like you know some buds of my, you know kind of up to no good every now and then but and then it was fun was there did you go to, was there more school after that for you no, that was that it was, that was okay. it i just started working and playing yeah right on yeah well thank you man um <clears throat> we got beverages we got equipment doing what it's supposed to do you found the restroom uh if either of us need to dip out for anything we'll just let it roll and cut it out afterwards. Okay. Um, so let's see here. We'd be looking at episode 103 of uh, Badass Records podcast. Hang with Fritz Hutchison. Thank you for uh, making the snow day trek over here to hang in the basement. I appreciate you being here. No problem, Blair. Um, now, uh, I found Fritz Hutchison music, music, music. <laughs> On yeah. Facebook. <laughs> uh, I was not uh, successful with the website. It seemed like something was happening there. Oh, I didn't maintain it and didn't pay for it anymore. That's what gotcha. happened. Gotcha. <laughs> um, near, um, oh, before I forget, uh, undergrad in psych and then was doing, like, had a radio show and was doing arts and editing arts and entertainment editor for the newspaper i was fluent in spanish and and which one of these am i going to minor in well i ended up minoring in lit just because i had the skills of the other things um and was really enjoying uh school for the first time in a long time as it was wrapping up and it's like i i I think i'm going to go to grad school but what am i going to go to grad school for seven years later i'm at uh starting the creative writing program at umkc which is how i know michelle and my first semester early entering the program i applied for um a ta Mm -hmm. and and it would like I can't remember if it would cover your tuition and pay a little something, but there was something significant in it. And also, of course, good experience. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get chosen, and Michelle was the contact person, and I uh, sent her a message inquiring, at, you know, like, what what happened, you know? And it was not very eloquently worded. I wasn't, like, mean, but I just was not – I didn't know how to – You weren't flexing your lit muscles? No, no, it ju- I, I just didn't, I hadn't learned yet how to like, you know, be 
thoroughly respectful, but also communicate your message. Yeah. And it's a skill. Yeah. And I was practice and she lit me on fire with her email. I was like, Oh shit. (laughs) So from then on, when I saw her, I was like, Oh, I mean, she was a, a stern, uh, loving, fun, but stern individual. Um, and obviously passionate with her own, uh, writing and art and so forth. But, uh, just, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube, you know. No. Intro relationship communication, and she's just like, "Look at this turd that we just let into our program." Well, you know, there's something endearing about those kind of relationships that t- are terrifying at a certain moment in your life, but they can be remarkably effective. Yeah. In like changing a person for the better, and yep. then you end up appreciating it and maybe finding it funny or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But um, good lady though, her husband. Uh, Good, good dude too. Um, yeah, and I know I was over there for at least one function, so um, I totally related on the familiar feeling when you walked in. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so, so the point of that is, late uh, in my undergrad, uh, I got, I came across Mark Farina as a DJ. Okay, um, and just. Uh, Mushroom Jazz is the name of the record, and he went on to put on put out like I don't know seven, eight, nine installments, and it's all one long, you know, whatever seventeen tracks, but they all run together, yeah, and yeah. it's just super, super fun, cool. Um, and I actually went and saw him at the Beaumont Club. 20 plus years ago and it was wild because he had only cds but he was still behind all the stuff doing all the you know (laughs) dj stuff and i was like you're just what are you doing no anyway but there was one track in that mushroom jazz series where uh, there's a backing vocal that th- this gal is um, saying, music, 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 music. Oh, so you were so, thinking of the Facebook yeah, page? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so you got st- you got stuff on Facebook. You got a band camp. Yes. Uh, and then... Uh, the old Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Frite underscore Orca. Is that the... Yeah. it's. I almost picked this record to talk about, but it's there's a Dirty Projectors album called Bitta Orca. Okay. So it's like a little nod. To nice. That. Very nice. Uh, because I'm really good at branding. <laughs> hey, yeah. you know what? Uh, <laughs> your Bandcamp page is uh, handsome and there's uh, eight uh, releases yeah. on there, yeah. um, all with very fascinating uh, cover art. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know how this happened, but... Um, I landed on, um, anytime movie night demos. Oh yeah. The page for that. Uh huh. And so it set this uh, mindset that that's, this is the only thing on here. And so I kind of, I, so I listened to all of it and then I read your very clean, admirable liner note copy beneath it. Um, somebody, uh, chief's party folks st- and, and the then, Donaldson's th- and then oh, yeah. so, uh, uh, Allison <laughs> Hawkins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I'm, I might, I might be swapping messages with her right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, very cl- I'm, you know, clean copy and writing is sort of my uh, bread and butter. So when I see that somebody mm-hmm. cares, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, that, so, so then I was like, Oh shit, there's more. Oh, well, um, and I think it was reading that, you know, uh, 
all of these except for the lead track made it onto the album, and the lead track was wonderful. Oh, I thank absolutely you. loved. Uh, I've been trying to put a finger on it. Um, it, it. There's something about the tone and the vibe and the energy, and, and I mean the music itself is great too. Um, but just really good stuff. Thanks. And uh, you know, I I've never sat across from somebody who has stuff on Bandcamp where I go, ugh, that's awful. But a lot of times it's like, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I I just really thought that. I didn't listen to anything else, but I thought that record was really oh, great. Cool. And so, yeah, well, you basically listened to the album Movie Night, okay? Like, because it's all the demos for that, except yes. for that song, right? Uh, so you would just hear like professional production versions of mm. the rest of those Sounded songs. Pretty professional to me. Well, that's a good sign. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I did all that on a uh, just like a Tascam like eight track. Okay. Um, yeah. So all those all those demos were made on that. Um, and then took them to, uh, element studios and, uh, worked on them with Joel and put, you know, real horn players and real string players. And, um, you know, some, I mean, it's, it's tricky because some of those demos I listened to and I'm like, oh, this captures something that, that got lost in translation to like the quote unquote real version. But that's like very common. It's like people call it demoitis. Because, like, yeah. you know, it happens all the time. People make the demo, and it's, like, got the real emotion of a moment in it or whatever. But that's why it's cool to put those out, too, because because um, you can just appreciate them yeah. for what they are and for the moment they capture. So, so um, for each of the eight uh, releases that are up there has the recording and production and release process looked similar across them or is it has everything sort of been its own little journey or well there's like a couple like camps of production i would say there's three well okay so there are two full-length albums that i um made with joel at element okay there's wide wild acres and then there's movie night okay and um, you know, pretty much made those two records the same way, which is going to the studio with Joel and track the rhythm section myself, just, you know, layering up that stuff. Um, start with the drums, you know, build, the, yeah. build the guitars up, play pretty much all the guitars. And my friend Ian Teeple played bass on Wild Wild Acres okay. on almost the entire record. I played bass on a couple of songs, but um ian's great nice amazing genius musician um basically the way i like to make albums is i like to do everything that i can do until you can't until i can't and then and then horns strings uh keys you know if there's like a specialty moment i played keys but like kyle little uh can just do things that i can sure sure bring him in for stuff and um, the horns on that eighth track were a very pleasant surprise. I was like, oh, shit, look at this. Was that the da 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 yeah. da da Oh, yeah. That was me playing the trumpet poorly, but oh. doing my best okay. uh, on the demos. It sounded, but, uh, you know, it, you know it, it brought a big band feel to the to that track no. for a second, which I... Those are the four notes I can play, so <laughs> worked out. Nice. Um but yeah, I, th- those two records were made very similarly in the studio. Um, and then some of the releases it, it, on Bandcamp, like the number is that there are eight releases, but I, 
two or three of those are singles yeah. that came out before those records. Like, so it's like some of the same. Apologize to your wife or something yes, like that. Yes, that one. <laughs> and Ladder Shake is yes. another. Um, there's a, a single called Zack Attack that uh-huh. I recorded in, with Ross Brown okay. um, in his basement a long time ago. Um, that was a really fun day. Um, and then the rest of them I recorded myself at home. Cool. Yeah. Um, sorry, just yeah, no worries. Got to find the right mix of temperature here. In a yeah. Little twelve by twelve. Um, so uh, art, the album art cover for for each of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like there was some similarity, like maybe use the same artist on more than one. Yeah, most of it, most of that stuff is art by Emmett Merrill who was a Paseo classmate of mine. Um, And we just, we became real tight buds back in high school. And he's just really amazing lithograph printmaker artist guy. Yeah. Um, He's, he's got a shop in St. Louis called graphic house. Okay. Um, And he works with some folks out there and uh, he's amazing. And we just connect on so much stuff. It's really easy to communicate, sure. you know, like themes and ideas with him. And I just am a fan of his art anyway. So like pretty much anything he brings to me, I'm like, that's great. You know, let's use that. Um, so he did, he did, uh, he did the, the movie night album cover. He did those singles covers. He did the one of me with the snow shovel. Okay. Um, the like holiday single that's on there. Um, and then the cover for the, the demos record that you listened to is an excerpt from art that he did for the movie night CD package. So it's nice. like when you open up the CD package and like remove the CD, it's the image behind the oh, CD yeah, yeah, yeah. in the case. Cool. So I just made that the cover for like the, nice. the demo version. Well, uh, uh, and, and, uh, uh, uh Colin Roush, uh, from shy boys did the cover art for Zach attack. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I just, uh, and, Sorry, Connor, Connor, Connor Burke uh, did okay. the paintings for Wide Wild Acres, um, and uh, Sally, our, uh, my my friend Sally, uh, took the photo of me and the nice. chicken. That's okay, you. so that that cover art is like a collab between the two of them. Sure. Um, any, I just you know I I know that Bandcamp is a platform, and uh, to some degree you're plugging stuff in to the the way that they have it set up, but you know. Um, I, I always appreciate when it's a a handsome collection, you know, all the way around with with interesting artwork and and a, a noteworthy number of releases and and clean copy and so on and so forth. So yeah, uh, you should be proud of your Bandcamp page if you're not I, already. I stand tall, <laughs> knowing that I have that handsome Bandcamp page. There you go. Um, so born and raised KC. Yeah. Okay, and you have. Uh, one sibling. I have six. Six. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and where are you in the in the pecking order? I'm number two. Number two. Yeah, I have an older sister. Okay. And then a brother and a sister and a sister and a brother and a brother. Wow. Yeah. Um. Now, do, I mean, this is always fascinating to me because you know your relationship with your older sibling has got to look wildly different than the relationship between your oldest sibling and your youngest sibling. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's just like age uh, different, you know, that's a decade. I mean, it's, yeah, we're all pretty close actually. Cause cool. they just hammered us out 
in the nineties. Like, you know, it's just like, that's what the nineties were. It was just bam, bam, bam. But so it's like seven kids in 10 years. Okay. Like, okay. That's a, uh, that's a, cause I, you, where you go normally is like the youngest and the oldest is like uh, kind of one foot out the door of the house. Yeah. And yeah. So no, we were all under one roof for a while. Interesting. Um, for, you know, eight, eight years. Yeah. Or so. Cool. Um, and where is everybody? Uh, well, let's see. I'm in KCK. My sister Mary Claire is in KCK. My brother Charlie is in Boston. Oh, wow. My uh, sister Rose is in Chicago. Okay. My sister Maggie and my brother Oliver live together very close to here, actually okay. on Dartmouth. Okay. And uh, then my brother Joe lives in Leadville, Colorado. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's a interesting collection of towns. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, any idea how uh, mom and dad met? They met at a a party. Okay. Or Harlings. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little. I can't remember which the the exact order. Sure. Uh, it's either a house party that was at like 51st and Grand, uh, or it was at Harlings. Okay. Or maybe they went from the house sure Harlings, something like that uh r.i.p to harlings man right no place the best worst place ever uh the softest <laughs> is it gonna hold up floor oh my god and the yeah. fire escape staircase situation i'm out amazed back. that no one met their end on uh-huh. those stairs i know is the, the loading in and out of that place and somehow the front stairs were scarier they, you know I what i'm just mean? gonna it's say like, front <laughs> nobody met their end on either side because oh, just insane like yeah. you open that door to go up the front and you're like holy shit okay yeah, yeah. i'm gonna find something to hold on i to know here. i know just somehow we all thought it was a good idea to keep going there yeah. i miss it it, it was, was so fun like iconic for yeah sure. And like booking shows there was great. Just like old school, like you know, yep. you'd go there and uh, was like uh, Crilly Brian Brian Crilly. It, uh, he would just like get a big paper calendar out and just like write your name down. And oh a, wow, a Sharpie or something. Wow, you know, that's how you booked. Um, uh, I feel like no matter what <laughs> time of evening uh, I was in there, it's like you lean up on that bar to order a beer, and it's just like. This thing is always sticky and just like <laughs> like Jim Gaffigan's line, uh, you, you know what you never hear in a Waffle House? Hey, good job cleaning up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't hear that there no, either. No, <clears throat> Um, So uh, mom and dad um, put on music for everybody to listen to when you guys were young or no? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. What? There was some music on a lot. Um, I, re- I remember it in the car the most. Okay. The car was like music land. Sure. And there was a lot of driving around, uh-huh. going to school, going to practice, going yeah. wherever, you know. Um, so I remember Oldies 95 Heck yeah. was a big situation in the morning yep. you know, on the way to school, peppy. So it was like a lot of like Motown and Everly Brothers and and they were still playing a lot of 60s music in the 90s, you know. Um, it's, it's interesting as time goes on what like classic rock and oldies radio stations are playing now. Cause you'll hear like Pearl jam on the Fox. I, I, and stuff I'll like never that. forget when I heard the day that I heard Tom Petty, uh, something off of uh full moon fever, uh, uh-huh. a 1987 record right. on the Fox was like, Whoa, Time. somebody's getting fired. Cause Clock's this is ticking, not the right. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, 
Oh, I'm right. Because just... it's the same amount of time if you remember that you're young and it's like 30 years prior. Yeah. It's the, yeah. The mamas and the papas. Or whatever, yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but yeah. So there was a lot of that. And then there was a lot of like, kind of like bluegrass and uh, um, like Nora Jones. Mm. Um, and like the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack oh, was like man. A, a, a huge thing that we listened to like constantly. Um, but there was also like a lot of show tunes. I'm a Dapper Dan, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do not seek the treasure. So good. Such a good movie. I know, I know. And I didn't watch it forever. Yeah. And I had, every time I met somebody, like, what, stop what you're doing right now and go. And then I uh-huh. finally did. And I was like, Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. It was more, we were more of a Raising Arizona household, okay. Okay. but the O Brother soundtrack was nice. on repeat. Very nice. Um, <laughs> so that's our, our Coen Brothers triangulation of that's great. cultural influence. I love it. Um, but yeah, there was that. And then there was like, uh, my whole family got like really obsessed with Les Miserables. Uh, really? So we were listening to Les Miserables a lot, like going to swim practice and like the nine of you. Yeah. Wow. And like you know, just oh my god, can you imagine? It was uh, all of us in the suburban, like look down, <laughs> look down. You know, it's just insane. <laughs> but so and like my we we all really liked doing theater and stuff. And like my sister Maggie is is a pro actor like musical theater actor okay and, um, so to that is in chicago no she's here she's here okay um, okay uh you know a pretty like wide variety of stuff and then like i my parents were really cool about like sort of like getting into what we were into and then sort of like fostering that interest and so like i started playing drums i started getting into jazz and my dad was like oh you gotta listen to this record you gotta listen to this record and like would like we would just like be listening to hard bop in the car you know uh because because that's what i was into or like uh even like i i, I almost put like a lincoln park record on this list for today because that was that like does my not fit <laughs> first favorite band okay, okay. i mean we might end up just talking about it anyway sure, but yeah uh but like, you know, my my dad's listening to Lincoln Park with me, you nice. know, and like stuff like that. So um, there's just music on all the time. Cool. And uh, I'm just trying to think what else was big. That's great. Amy Grant. Sure. <laughs> uh, Amy Grant Christmas record is big. Yeah. Um, um, my same sort of uh, in the you know, St. Anne's for one year. I mean, I, I went to six different grade schools. So I was all over the place, but uh, for whenever we were here, it was uh, 71 WHB, which would become oldies 95 eventually. Okay. And I just the other day, the other day in one of the earliest episodes learned, uh, I just always thought WHB were the call letters. Mm-hmm. World's happiest broadcasters. Oh, nice! And I was like, "Is that because they play oldies for a living? That they're just uh-huh. <laughs> they decided to go with that name, right?" Do 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 do. A lot of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay, yeah. all right, nice, so, very nice. Yeah, my mom loves the funky stuff. So uh, you still have a kit today, I would assume. Oh yeah, I play drums all the time. Okay, um, and then and how was that your jumping off point? What was it about the drums that drew you? Well, uh, the drums chose me, I guess, or my uncle chose the drums. Okay. <laughs> it was a Christmas present. I, I knew I wanted to play music. Okay. And I had taken piano lessons and it didn't connect, you know. But How long? Like, 
taking piano lessons. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I was really little, and okay. it was kind of sporadic, as I okay. remember. There okay. was a couple different teachers. It was like one for a while we went to like the Marlboro community center and I took piano lessons there from a guy. And then there was a lady that came over to our house at a different time. So sure. I think there was just like a couple attempts that neither lasted super long. Um, like I said, it just wasn't yeah. connecting. And then, um, when I was 12, so 20 years ago, um, my uncle Jerry gave me drums for Christmas. Did he run that by your folks first? I'm sure. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um and is there, was there a spot in the home that you could, you know, my bedroom had him in my room. So I, I, my brother and I shared the attic. Okay. And so there was a lot of space up there. Okay. Uh, and I, to this day, if you feel sorry for Charlie, cause you know, just had the kit like basically right next to his bed, you know, <laughs> and we, wow. I just, and right over my parents' room. I was kind of insane that it was allowed to happen that way. Right. Eventually they moved down to the basement um, happiest day of Charlie's life, but uh, just I you say attic, and I immediately think, well, I bet it travels uh, throughout the house less than if it were in the basement. So it's almost like if that's maybe true, the house less, but the neighborhood more. You know what I mean? Being in the attic, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, kind of amazing that I don't know that there's a, I only remember the cops getting called once. Oh, wow. <laughs> there's on the other side of this wall is, uh, my garage and there's an extra, it's like a, a, a there's a, there's a playroom uh-huh. above it and it's great except for it's not insulated. So like right now it's really cold mm-hmm. and in the summer it's really hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a kit in there. Um, and you know, the next door neighbors like the day they're like, do you guys get the, get drums? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, you can, I bet everybody can hear that. No, yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Right. Right. So they move down to the basement, but move you're down. still playing them. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. When, when they go down to the basement. Well, yeah. And I got, what happened was I started like being more serious about, um, being in bands and like having practices at our house and stuff. And so like having five dudes in my bedroom was like not, as accommodating or you know so whatever uh so we just we moved it down to the basement okay that was the home for a while so drums is your uh instrument of choice from 12 till uh probably till like my early 20s okay i was playing guitar throughout that time i was playing a lot of banjo when i was a teenager too uh, because i got a banjo kind of at the end of high school and so um i was in this band uh, called She's a Keeper that was kind of like a alt folk. Shorthand is kind of a Mumford band. We were sort of a Mumford band, uh, but, you know, whatever. But uh, I was hey. playing a lot of banjo and drums, and then, like, the dudes that I was in that band with were, like, really next-level songwriters mm-hmm. for, like, kids our age. Okay. You know, just um, uh, Zach Collin and Elliot were just, like, all just, like, churning out these amazing melodic and introspective and well constructed songs. And I was like, Whoa, like I got to do that too. So then I started writing more. So I started taking the guitar a little more seriously. And then there was also this band called Metatone that I was a huge fan of local band and their guitar player was moving to New York. And I was aware that he was going to move and I was like, I will do anything to be in this band. So I like, 
started taking guitar really seriously, like specifically to play with that band and like learned this guy's guitar parts and stuff. And then like the second he, like the second he moved, I was like, Hey, I heard you need a guitar player. Like, (laughs) it's like, I know all the songs already. So that was like, really could could have been, uh, running the risk of, uh, if you waited till he was already gone, they might've already had somebody. Well, I don't know. I mean, but it worked. It worked. Yeah. And they were like, come on in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it worked out, but yeah, I, uh, I was like really primarily thinking of myself as a drummer for probably, you know, a, a decade. Okay. Um, and then these days I still think of myself as a drummer first, probably songwriter, second guitar player, third. Interesting. Um, but it depends on what is going on musically. Okay. Like there are certain environments where I feel more or less comfortable on guitar. I kind of feel like I can function as a drummer in most situations. Okay. Not to, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a master of none, but like, sure. You know, I can like survive in a jazz trio gig on the, yeah. in the drums and, and play without concern. But if I was like in a jazz trio on guitar, I'd be freaking out and like, uh, be, I would be very limited in what I could, okay. what I could say. Now, um, the, my happy place in the world of jazz, uh, and my, my jazz world is pretty small. Right. Um, but I've, I love, uh, gosh, sixties, uh, even through eighties blue note mm. records, mm-hmm. because the cover art was always so simple. Mm-hmm. It's just like the three musicians names and maybe wh- whoever's record it is. It's like a, a larger font mm-hmm. and then you, you know, it's just a, a shot of somebody with their instrument mm-hmm. and it's uh, I, this notion of, okay, we're all doing this thing and we each take a turn venturing out mm-hmm. and then coming back. Right. And so yeah. in, in that situation on, on the kit, could you, you could, you could hang and do all the things expected, but could you also freelance for a quick second while it was your turn to, or. I mean, I guess so. It's like, the whole the whole deal is that like the drums it depends on who you ask and how you think about it but the drums are not necessarily like a a composing instrument sure and so like that is really why i started to pay more attention to other more melodic or harmonic because your writing because, self is... yeah, exactly and so like you can only take an idea so far like sitting back on the kid and playing a beat and imagining something in your head you sure. gotta like yeah bring yeah. that to the thing so I get you another one sure okay yeah. right back what was i what was i talking yeah, about i was saying I told uh, neither one of us held it uh no no, no I, I got this oh just like uh paying um, attention to other paying instruments attention to other instruments i mean i have done gigs where i'm like the band leader on the drums interesting okay um and it's looked like a couple of things i've done more of that in like the country music vein actually kind of leave on style cool um and playing mostly songs that i've written but then like uh you know my buddy zach will just like play guitar he's just monster guitar player so sure. I, just, I i write the songs and and i'll usually i demo stuff out a lot and so i can just like play a recording of like this is how the song goes people and uh <laughs> and uh you guys listening yeah yeah and then i sit back on the kit and we play the song and we work it out nice. you know and i'll sing or whatever so um you know it's not really that 
I think that people, uh, what am I saying? It might seem a little mysterious of how someone can like be the band leader or something on a non melodic instrument on just like just the rhythmic instrument. But it's like, if you just put the time in and rehearsals and, sure. and work it all out, then like guys ever heard of Phil Collins? Come on now. Uh, come on now, guys, guys. <laughs> Um, so as it stands right now, um, uh, drums, banjo, guitar, bass, keys, and a few notes on a trumpet, you could make a record and it just is you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, but you gig too. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, it's not just you, is it? Or is it? Well, sometimes it is. Okay, I mean, it depends. It, it depends. Okay. I, I, I kind of will just do anything because it's my living. So I, right. um, I'll do whatever. Okay. So like, you know, I'll play drums in a in an organ trio at Casey Beer Co. Or I'll do a solo songwriter thing, uh, you know, at like West Bottoms Whiskey Company. Or I'll have my like eight piece rock band and we'll do a big show at the ship or something like that. Uh, or like, it, there's just there's a bunch of I love Kansas City musically for a lot of reasons. And like the way that I like to describe it here is that there's there's enough musicians for there to be any kind of music, but there's not enough musicians for every kind of music to have its own scene or its own like closed off pocket. Sure. So there's a lot of, you know, you've got like your your goths over here and your country people over here, but like one person in a country band is probably also going to be playing some like weirdo goth stuff. And like some gothy person's probably playing some twangy stuff. Cause yep. like, you know, that's just how it goes. Like there's, it's a pretty tight knit and like very open community. And it's kind of like what you were saying with the jazz records where like, there's like a rotating, everyone gets their turn in the driver's seat, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it, it just kind of works like that around here. Yeah. Cause like everyone's, everyone kind of has their own project. And then, those people are almost always in two or three other projects, I, just helping out their buddies or whatever. I'm sure you've encountered that. I ha- not, not a, not a ton. I mean, I've interviewed, I've interviewed a decent amount of musicians, uh-huh. um, and it's like more often than not, they sit down, and I, I'm like, okay, so you're, this is your deal, and this is your band, and they're like, actually, I'm in six other bands too, and it's like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, crazy to have you know if if gigging and practicing and record if all the things are happening you know obviously some are going to get a little less time and energy than others but Mm -hmm. it never ceases to amaze me I'm like wow okay yeah well I mean the lack of industry here kind of helps with that aspect of it too because like I don't know there isn't that sense. You know, there, there, there is industry here. Like people, people work and make music here for a living. And like, in that sense, there, there is, and people have pretty far reach from here. And, you know, it's not like it doesn't exist, but like that ego thing doesn't quite exist here in the same way where it's like, it's like, I'm the cult leader, you're in my cult and we're going straight to the top. You know, that kind of attitude that's it, that's it, a good thing, it, right? Absolutely, I okay. think so. Okay. I think absolutely, because it just is more like it's more about just like community and and making honest music for the sake of for the sake of itself, right? You know. Yes, indeed. Um, I don't know. It's at one of the 
in one of the places where you're one can find for touches and stuff, there's a picture of you. And I want to say you're wearing like a black t-shirt and maybe your hair is a little longer than it is right now. Mm-hmm. And, and you're standing, I think in this picture, which I believe you made me the last thing I would have thought looking at, and may, maybe it's your band camp, uh, was that you're a, a, dr- a drum. <laughs> no, that was the first thing. I thought, that was cool. <laughs> no, uh, just that you're not sitting and there's not a kit visible. Sure. I didn't, you know, so yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't make the connection. Surprise. That, right. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, so the uh, movie night demos, uh, do I have this right? September of last year? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, when was your first thing put up there? The very first mm-hmm. thing? March 2020. Okay. Okay. The first show that i had to cancel because of covid was the release show for my first album so it was pretty great wow pretty awesome uh and and before that uh were you did you hand did we recording before you had a thing visible on the internet and you would hand stuff out or what yeah i actually (laughs) it's funny you ask that um i chipped away at that album wide wild acres for like five years okay i spent a really long time working very slowly on it and i got heavily distracted a couple of times with other projects sure. and um stuff and so I, I you know i started working on that album in like yeah in like 2015 okay you know, and like so i was still in she's a keeper that was a primary focus but i had these songs that were not fitting with that band and i was kind of getting a stockpile so that was the idea was just to kind of like offload these things and, mm. then, and then you know that band ended and i got more focused on that record and i put a bunch of work in and i like got it you know probably over 50 percent done and then I joined a band called the Grand Marquis, uh, this very longstanding, like kind of brass New Orleans jazz party band um, around town. But I played drums for them for a few years, and that's like a full time job. So I I got very distracted from the record and didn't work on it. But there was there there was an early version of that album that was like eight songs, and it was basically done. And that was, um the version that I shopped around to some labels to try to get some interest and um, eventually led to it being put out, which is kind of another story, but I did, I did play some shows and I had just like the burned CDs that I like sharpied. Yeah. Yeah. Fruits Hutchison on them and passed them out. And then I, I lost them. Oh no. In Ireland. I like, I took a bunch of them with me (laughs) cause I went there uh, to play some music with some friends of mine that I made through the Irish festival here. Oh, cool. And, um, I made friends with this guy named Rob, uh, and he's got this band, uh, really awesome punk band called the panic attacks. Okay. Uh, they're a Dublin, <laughs> Dublin band. Nice. Um, but I went over there kind of on vacation, but I hit him up to hang, you know, cause he's like one of the three people I know over there. And, uh, at the time and, he was working on that record and he actually invited me to go record. And then that led to some other things. Cool. And, uh, I ended up going back again later in the summer and playing at a festival called, uh, electric picnic. That's really cool. Um, and, uh, I played, 
it's a long story. Basically, I played the the worst show I've ever played mm. in my life at this festival, uh, and it was really bad. And like, because I had, I learned about my partying limits basically, and because okay. okay. like I, you know, I just. I, I was living a bit of the rock star life and Man. I, and I, I parted myself into oblivion and then I had to do a solo set at this festival the next day. And I just like really sucked. It was really bad. And it was in the middle of the day in this tiny stage. And like, there was like a, like a, I can't, you know, like Amsterdam vodka was like sponsoring like an EDM stage, like right across the way. It was just like, <laughs> you know, and I'm just like limping through these sad boy songs. It was terrible. Oh, but man. I had this big pile of those CDs, those burned CDs. And I, um, and I had them and I left them behind in that backstage area. Cause I kind of, I like got out of there, yeah. you know, when I was yeah. done. Cause I was like, Oh my God, that was so bad. You know? And I just kind of like ran away and then, like, seven hours later, I was like, oh, my God, I left all the CD, you know, and I ran back and I never found them. So there's a pile of them out there somewhere. Uh, they probably just got thrown in the trash or something. I, but I bet I bet it's part of the uh, Irish culture now to give a Fritz Hutchison CD as a white elephant gift. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Or it's can't like get rid of these things. It's like uh, seven days. Like, <laughs> it's like the videotape from the ring or something. Um. So yeah, I don't know. That's that's what happened to that early version. But then eventually, I kind of touched up the album and added a another song or two. And when you said a minute ago, uh, shop tried to shop around to labels. Mm-hmm. Was that your first foray into that? Uh, yeah, because all the She's a Keeper releases were self released. Okay, um, and how did you know where to start? Did you ask folks? Did you Google stuff? Well. No, I didn't really Google. I kind of stuck to local labels because okay. I wanted it to not be like a super. I didn't want to like put too much pressure on myself. I just wanted to follow through with putting an album out. Okay. But I needed help and accountability to do so. But I wasn't like Warner Brothers Records. No, like, you know, right. like, you know, obviously that's not going to happen or whatever. But. I don't know. I just kind of I, I I set the bar a little low just in order to accomplish something initially to build off of. Okay. Um, so I knew about like the record machine and and like high dive, at, because friends of mine were putting out records on these labels. Like, yeah. Like the ACBs and Shy okay. Boys were working with High Dive, and uh, um, the record machine had helped out with like. Um, the mid coast takeover South by Southwest thing. And they were like tied in with like the Midwest music foundation, just like just kind of being aware of them through the music scene. And, um, and then I ended up putting that first record out with center cut records. Okay. Uh, My friend Calvin Arsenia uh, had put out cantaloupe and worked with them. And I had been like kind of playing in Calvin's band at the time. Oh, interesting. So I was sort of aware of that connection. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll ask them what they think of this stuff. And, and they were pretty enthusiastic in their response and, and they helped me put it out. Um, I think Patrick spray is probably who told me to, he gave me a list of, Oh, cool. He was, uh, episode 77. And I mean, like I thought he was going to give me like two names, he gave you a whole roll of decks. Me, and yeah. I was like, Shh, you yeah, know, I yeah, couldn't yeah. write fast enough. Yeah, and I'm not even halfway through. 
reaching out to this. Oh book, yeah, you know? I mean, he's that kind of guy that he'll just be like, oh, you got to this, 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 yeah. this, 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 and that. Yeah, you know, it's like he's he's an intense guy. He was very helpful with putting that first record. Cool. Out, so so fun experience reaching out to labels no. for the first time. No. No. <laughs> educational? <laughs> yeah, definitely educational. Okay. It's just a lot of emails and kind of <sighs> tedious, you know, and uh, talking business. The, and, the passion know. about it being your record doesn't just stay it does, it does, on 11 for no the whole... One, no one else feels the same way about your record <laughs> Dang than, it. than you do. And also, it's not about whether they like it or not. Is it marketable? Can I, I guess, you know, it. they're... I wasn't like playing hardball with anybody. No, he was playing hardball with me at that time, good, at that right? level. First record, local labels, like everyone's very chill about it, you know, around here. Like, yeah, people know what's up. Like, yeah. People are just kind of helping each other out. So um, it just was it was like various reasons uh, why it would work or not with with certain people. Sure. And, and sure. Center Cut ended up being the one that it it just things just moved forward with them cool right on um but you know i mean shopping a record is is nerve-wracking and and tedious so it's not i like can imagine fun. no <laughs> well i know but it's like uh the uh, utopian thought is uh you know i i've made it i'm shopping my record with label you know <laughs> i've made it in reference to the record i have made the record yeah, well, <laughs> i've made it yeah, yeah. fair enough yeah fair enough. um well, again, I really appreciate you being here. Sure. Um, fantastic yeah. list. Um, if we roll through it chronologically, 1958, Miles Davis. Oh, you got the you got the cover art. Milestone. Wow, yeah. Um, 27 of 63 studio releases for Mr. Davis. Number 27? N- number 27. Six, no way, six really? Six tracks, 47 minutes. I mean... I think so, roughly. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that that necessarily accounts for uh, all of his quintet stuff. Mm. Um, but anyway, that that was those are the numbers I d- dug up. Oh, 27, um, I had no idea. People were busy back then. I mean. They just kept making stuff. Just like three, them three records yeah, a year. Yeah, kind of thing. right. Crazy. Um, so your introduction to Miles Davis happens how? With this album... With this album, yeah, okay. because I remember there being this. This CD was in my house. Mm. I think my dad just had it, and um, I mean, this. I, I you know when I got serious about music, I just started like raiding the CD rack and and you know found all the records in the basement and stuff. I just started listening to whatever was already in the sure. house. So like. You know, there's. I was just going through like that, that uh, category of music to me, and there's a bunch of stuff that I could have put on this list. You know, it's like like Asia, the Steely Dan record was like one, or like um, I, I definitely Gordon Lightfoot. You know, nice like, <laughs> uh, track one of uh, uh, moving anytime movie night demos that didn't make it uh-huh. onto. There was a, like artist names coming at me like mm. and steely dan was one of them really and and a little bit of bowie um oh. it, it it was like i you know i'm only just now identifying what mm. they were because it was it was coming fast like patrick's list interesting you know? yeah anyway. yeah well i mean this album just like rips 
you know, like, you know, that first Dr. Jekyll, like the way this album starts is like psychotic. Like that tune is so fat and it just starts. It's like so up tempo. It's like a punk. It's like a thrash record or something like it's just like smashes you in the face with like blinding speed immediately. Yeah. And I was, you know, when you're like 14, I'm like, yeah, you're just like, whatever, you know, like so into that, just like that insane kind of like speed freak energy that this a lot of this record has that like billy boy Mm. is like kind of has this frantic energy and that's like so interesting too because it's just piano trio like miles doesn't even play on that song there's no horns on that song it's just a red garland Mm. piano and um red philly philly joe jones is the drummer on this album and his drumming on this record made like a huge 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 impact on me and 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 i didn't even like i was kind of perplexed by it and like more intrigued than uh like satisfied by it i would say Mm. like he has this like really interesting kind of off kilter way uh when it when when he solos or or when when he's filling and in these gaps he kind of hit it's like he's coming at it sideways and um i just had never like is is unusual way of playing that I hadn't really heard people do. And he's, there's a reason why he's like a, a a legend in in pop, but I just remember like hearing his drumming and not ever having the sense that I was going to, or wanted to play drums like that, but it's just so perfect for what this album is. And I love the music as a whole so much that I kind of, I'd like accepted it. And I, I tried to learn some licks and I, I was really into it. His brush playing, Mm. on this record actually that is the stuff where i'm like that's the shit and like i want to do that like that um particularly on billy boy and i i i i'm not sure what else but i the the brush playing on billy boy specifically was like whoa this is 14 this is crazy i think i was probably 14 maybe 13 i understand that music is uh Okay. Music, music is, is okay. Music is uh, a thing <laughs> in the world. Yeah. It's part of my family, um, uh, and it's it's always going to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I understand the uh, interest in rating what's in the house, the mm-hmm. CDs, the records, etc. Yeah. Um, what gives me uh, curiosity is that a fourteen-year-old would not only grab a miles davis record but return to it like stay with it you know for eventually an entire listen and then and revisit again mm-hmm. um and i i'm assuming that that's because there's there's more music in your marrow and your soul and your inner workings than maybe the average 14 year old considering um all of the instruments you've taken up and everything that you've uh accomplished done learned experienced um i mean you're what 32 yeah i mean it's it's kind of remarkable i'm not saying there aren't other 32 year olds out there with you know uh the the there are dozens of us (laughs) point is uh it's very fascinating to me that you would be uh drawn to stay with this record for a full listen and revisit again and and now look at how it 
it is it's the drumming like because because at that point in my life i'm all in on being a drummer that's okay. like all i'm doing okay with you know musically speaking and i was drawn to jazz because uh the drums are free to speak uh in a way that is not um you know the 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 idea of groove exists in a different realm on records like this than it does on other music that I was equally into, like say the Ramones or, you know, like the, uh, uh, I love the dead Kennedys. Like I was listening to a lot of dead Kennedys at the same time, but like different, different energy, different, but, but like I said, this, this record is really pretty aggressive Mm. and, and has a lot of drive and, and, you know, it's kind of a snarl to some of these, you know, Dr. Dr. Jekyll and two bass hit, um, you know, Billy Boy is not really a snarl. It's pretty jaunty, but like, there's just like a, you know, um, and milestones. The tune is just, is just gorgeous too. Mm. Like, it's just a beautiful, the, the, da, 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 good, the like counterpoint thing that the horns split off and do. It's just like beautiful. And, um, you know, but anyway, the, the point being like, I, I'm like hopped up on ADD meds and I'm playing drums. For real? Like, yeah, yeah, okay. and, and like for hours a day, and so I want to do as many things on the drum set ah. as I can. And so, being a jazz fan as a as a drummer makes sense because like I just want to <laughs> touch every cymbal sure. and play every yeah. voice and and play any any combination of rhythms or whatever. And I didn't have the facility on any other instrument to like, you know, to to pursue that. Right. And so. That 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 is why I would get into a record like this mm. at that time. Did you when you first listened to this? Did you have a brush? Um, may maybe. I am sure that I did soon after. If I right, did, if right. I didn't before, um, I was really you know because I was going to Explorers every week and taking lessons uh, there at the time too so still, no they're they're, they're gone. recently recently yeah right? this this was the last year that they were open. yeah 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 um but I, I was there every week so good i was run oh hell of a run yeah i mean um amazing yeah what is it it was like almost 30 years i, I was think, gonna say 30 ish like um i'm lucky that i got to spend as much time there as i did because it just they, they just had all the stuff there and uh my teacher kent burnham was you know is probably like the biggest singular person to influence my like playing of music really yeah just because like i took private lessons with him for five years okay and i never had another single instructor for that long or that frequently it's like every week for five years you hang out with this one guy and he teaches you something about music every week so it's like that's big right you know so huge um so I'm sure I took home some brushes there pretty soon there after yeah, listening yeah. to this record. But I, I think of I heard you say that, and the the feeling I got was, uh, oh, I didn't know we could do that. I didn't know that was an option. Yeah, totally. You know? totally. Like, I, and now I can't wait to not only dip my toes in that water, but work towards you know mastering it for mm-hmm. lack of a better. Mm-hmm. Just fascinating. Um, but uh, from '58 to uh, 1972, Machine Head. Hell yeah! Now, Six of twenty-two for them. Right on. Uh, I love that you're giving me these. This, this actually helps a lot with like the visceral 
memory success yeah that's the point yeah uh seven tracks 37 minutes uh i was uh taking uh lessons at the tune shop in prairie village nice uh and well. working on the riff that you just shared with us uh and my next door neighbor um you know i'm seventh eighth grade uh gets home from work and i must have had my bedroom window open and Next thing you know, he's knocking, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, "Dude, what are, you, what are you doing in there? Are you playing some Deep Purple on guitar?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "I tell you that I I gigged for like ten years around town in a in a rock band." I was like, uh, "No, you did not. Mm-hmm. Please come in." And uh, he comes in, and uh, within you know three minutes, he's hitting. Uh, the Highway Star solo. (laughs) And I was just like, holy shit, dude. I've lived next door to you for like, who knows how long and I didn't know you had this in you. Let's just be clear. Highway Star is the greatest piece of recorded music in the history of (laughs) humankind. It's so good. Well, like, come on. It's ridiculous. You know, I'm I'm buying uh, music at every turn by this point and so i've you know smoke on the water is just in there from fm radio Mm -hmm. and so i hit play on my cassette copy and i was just like you know as he comes in just yeah and i was like holy shit it rips dude yeah i bought this on cassette yeah, at the Eckerd at 63rd and Brookside Boulevard. CVS now the CVS, yeah. but I'm pretty sure this is the first uh, album I ever like bought with my own money. Okay, um, and I just all I knew about was Smoke on the Water. Sure, and I kind of had this mission to collect and study things that I was aware were iconic in like. Like in rock that. music. Yeah. Um and part of it is cuz I would just believe it if someone told me that something is great, I'd be like, "Oh, this is great. I got to go check it out." Now you know, I'm going to tell people. Yeah, exactly. Uh we're just like, "What's what's so great about this?" You know. But I spoke truck, you know, maybe. that is what's great about this. Uh <laughs> I mean, every tune, there's there's not a stinker on this no. thing. It's so good. But I was aware of smoke on the water because everybody in the world is. And so I bought it. But then the first thing you hear is highway star and it's just insanity. And it's, and Ian Pace is the drummer on this album. Mm. And he really, he really, they got two Ian's in the band. Uh, I guess so. Ian Gill, Gillian is the, yeah, vocalist. he's the singer. Yeah. And two. Richie Blackmore. And then I don't know the bass player, but nice uh, bass riffs too. Oh, uh, the, the, what is it? Pictures of home mm. as the bass solo. Yes. You can cut that out. But it's like every note on this record is like ingrained. And I wore this cassette out. But um, the what was I saying? I don't know. Ian Pace. Oh, yeah. Ian Pace. So I used to spend a lot of time on drummerworld.com. Mm. Um, it was like pre YouTube, you know, website that had like bios and like, uh, sort of like flash player video links that okay. were like direct on that website. And, um, uh, but Ian Pace is like a really great, this, this, these two records, I didn't really even think about this when I was t- 
picking them out, but like milestones and, and machine head like next to each other is like, this is like literally like middle school, early high school. Like my, my musical diet and interest as a drummer is like the, the worlds colliding between like hard rock and bebop. And that's very apparent in a lot of the classic rock drumming of, sorry, excuse me, of like deep purple, Mitch Mitchell and the Jimi Hendrix experience. Um, these kind of like flashy, you know, even John Bonham, you know, like there's like a deep swing element in a lot of what these guys are doing. And they're taking a lot of their vocabulary from these bebop jazz players and then like imposing it onto these like heavy blues riffs. Yeah. Um, and I just think that that's fascinating and like totally fit with my personality because like I, I like live to rock. Um, but I like kind of complex things huh. and, and I like to stay busy. Um, not so much anymore as a player, but like in that, in that era where you're just like getting your, just like shaking it all out and just like wanting to play every note all the time, you know? And like the way that the way that you get to play, if you're playing along to a deep purple record is like not totally dissimilar from like playing along to a jazz record. Okay. You're just, you're just heavier on the backbeat and like hitting a lot harder. Um, but like, uh, you know, pictures of home is like a, a deep shuffle. Um, Lazy is a real up tempo swing, basically. Huh. Space trucking like is sort of like a gigantic Motown beat. Wow. Highway Star is the greatest piece of recorded music on the history of the planet, so that's cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, maybe I'm a Leo is just like a stanky, stanky groove. I don't know. Never before is really good. I've covered Never Before with my band. Oh, fun. Uh, yeah, it is really fun, and. Also, like the 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 story of this album being recorded is really fascinating. I don't I don't know if you know much about it. They like, um, they recorded it in like an abandoned hotel. Oh, uh, that feels familiar. In like, I can't remember where it was. They're in like the French countryside or something. You know, and like somewhere weird. Not come at me, France, but <laughs> but you know, the the. They were they were just like living in this weird abandoned hotel and like the way they had it set up, like the stories they tell about it are like, um, you know, oh, we would do these takes and then we would be like, oh, let's go listen to the take. But then we would have to go crawl out on the balcony and climb over to another window into the control room. You know, it's like uh, telling these like, you know, it just made it made making music and making records feel like uh, an adventure waiting to happen sure. in life. Yeah. And it's like very exotic seeming. And then to have that result in something very iconic and also like kind of demystifying of the, like, like music it, it, making records is this thing that happens exclusively in like purpose built studios. Right. You know, it's like, I would not categorize this as like a DIY record, no. but there is some of that ethos in it. And then like you realize the, a lot more records than you think are built in these like, or are, are recorded in these kind of DIY settings, like uh, exile on main streets, like Keith Richards basement, you know, and like stuff like that. And, and kind of realizing uh, that you, that it does, this stuff is not existing in sterile environments. Right. People are making music all around the world in any way that they can. I, so that was kind of an intro to that, like school of thought. I, I do when, uh, recall at some point 
reading a little bit about it and feeling uh, like the story was similar to the way that like Led Zeppelin was doing physical graffiti, for example. Like, I don't know about that. Hanging mics from the undersides of staircases and, and recording certain bits in hallways and just any, you know, finding unique buildings, you know, mm-hmm. structures mm-hmm. Uh, just so that it's different, you know, sonically. It's not a sterile just you know four walls and you know right same old anyway elevator shaft snare drum i don't know what that was um anyway it's also fascinating to me that uh sometimes fm radio would give you uh highway star and sometimes it would give you space trucking but they just force feed smoke on the water and it's like every other track on this record so good there's like a bunch of hits waiting to happen yeah yeah i think that the album was supposed to be called pictures of home Mm. and that was going to be the big single Mm. and then late in the process they they came up with smoke on the water and there's there's a there's a track that smoke on the water replaced called when a blind man cries oh wow and it kind of sucks. It's like way better oh, man. that they did what they did. <laughs> you know, like even, you know, like smoke on the water for better or worse is definitely better than <laughs> when a blind man. Gotcha. Cries. It's like, I don't know, man, he's still got tear ducts. Right. Like, it's like, right? <laughs> he's, just he's still gonna, got sadness he's in gonna, there. He's going to cry or joy, whatever he's crying. You for. know, it's, it's just, it's a ballad and it's not, it's not very thrilling. Uh, no shade. All love to deep purple. You right. Know? Uh, but I'm glad. I'm glad that they <laughs> wrote "Smoke on the Water." I'm sure that they are also glad uh, to have their, you know, third house that they got from that song. Right. But uh, yeah, Deep Purple, man. Man, I, uh, I was I was stoked. I mean, there's not been a Deep Purple record on somebody's list yet, so I, well, I, I kind glad. of, you know, yeah, like it just for. Hitting home for you? Well, just the conversation that we just had. I mean, yeah, like Highway Star literally blew my mind, and to yeah. live next to somebody that could, you know, pretty much throw it down, I was like, hell yeah, what's going on, man? Hell yeah. Anyway, uh, we skip ahead to moving two- on 2006 for live at the Hammersmith Odeon uh, 75. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen and E Street. Band. Either way, it would be next. Right. Chronology. Exactly. Yeah. Before we get into this, I'm going to run to the restaurant. Yeah, real do quick. it. We're back. The Boss. The Boss. 21 studio albums uh, for this obviously legendary act, but uh, this live recording earned a spot on your list. It did. Um, have you seen him live? Uh, yes. Okay. I have seen him four times okay uh it all in all at the sprint center no kidding i just don't not go when he comes to town um at this point he's i'm just he's my number one guy okay this is my guy and you're not from new jersey i'm not from new jersey interesting i've been through new jersey on a bus <laughs> okay <laughs> the uh that's all it takes the, i think to get a little bruce on one you. corner the uppermost corner of New Jersey I've there you go. seen through the window of a bus. So first time you see him is when? Uh, the Magic Tour. So that would have been like, oh, seven? Okay. And were you a pretty pretty into him already at that yes, time? Yes, because this... Okay, so I kind of cheated because this is also a DVD. I saw a note at the tail end 
saying something about that. But and the DVD was included in the like thirty fifth edition, thirty fifth anniversary edition of Born to Run. Okay, and so I got that edition of born to run because it was the one that they had at Costco. And like I said, I was like (laughs) being like, I was just like racking up the iconic albums and like being like, what, what is what, what gives all these things, the reputation that they have. Right. Right. And my, you know, my dad loves Bruce Springsteen. And so he was like, Oh yeah. You know? And so like we, we got this and it, and it came with this DVD and I listened to the album. I listened to born to run. I was like, it's great. Love it. You know, really good good rock album uh but then i i watched this and i was like oh holy shit i like know what to do with my life you know like it was just like a thank ma- you costco major yeah shout out uh thanks for the hot dogs and for the, <laughs> the direction in life um it, it, it literally it, it was literally like that i you know like i watched this over and over and over again and subsequently listened to this over sure. and over and over again I don't know if I had just listened to this. I feel like it would not have had the effect. I think that the the visual, like looking at him perform and like it's very intriguing because like the lighting, you know, the the filming of it is is interesting because it, it wasn't lit to be filmed. Um, really? It was just like they just had some cameras there. And, and so the lighting is very dark and he's like silhouetted a lot of the time. And everyone is like in deep shadow with like bold, like single color lights on them. And so like Roy Bitten, the pianist is like wearing this wide brimmed hat and you never see his face because the light's always coming down. So you just like, you see the hat and like his suit and he's playing this amazing stuff. And like for a lot of the show, you can see like Bruce's teeth, you know, and like, but you know, like cause yeah. they're, they're yeah. catching the light, but like his, his whole thing. So it's very mysterious and he's kind of in his like peak whisper era, mm. you know, where he's like, he, everything is just like beneath the city, <laughs> two hearts beat, you know, like the, every song is like that. So I think if I had only listened to it, I would have been like, what is going on? But like, he's got such an intensity cool. uh, in the performance and like seeing it, I was like, whoa, like I've never seen a performer like this. I've never seen a band that looks this cool. That is like this forceful and it kind of served also as like a a very effective introduction to his early era because oh. the the you know this concert is in 75 yep. it's it's actually his first ever show in Europe um and which is cool and significant um and went a lot better than my first show in Europe which was that one I was talking about earlier they had some CDs yeah oh yeah you yeah. were there amazing uh can I have them back? But I, they're they're high high value bootlegs at this point. Um, anyway, it, it's all stuff from the first three records, okay. right? So it's kind of a good just like intro to the first phase of the boss, you okay. know, like because uh, he's being he's like at his flashiest lyrically. The band, it, it's super maximalist, you know, like the whole thing, it, like really culminating in Born to Run. Because after that, he really strips it down for Darkness on the, the Edge of Town, just like oh, the, the follow up yeah, record. Okay. It's like very sparse by comparison. And um, anyway, the, the, the energy is just insane in this performance and is so captivating. And, and he's just like, 
he's just like really working it. And the, the way that the show is structured around the strengths of the band, every member of the band kind of gets their spot in cool. the sun, you know, gets their Love time it. to shine, which is like, I try to do that as a band leader is like, make sure at some point in the show, everyone gets their moment, you know? And it's like, builds this like mythos of the E street band, you know, it's like yeah. this incredible band. And, uh, and there's just like so, some like really epic tunes that I, I was like, so ready for, I was like, what am I at this point? 16. So I'm angsty. I want to get out. You know, right. so like the the stuck the, in the Midwest, exactly all the he, all the escapist imagery that is like the most prevalent on Born to Run and like the first, you know, that one and uh, Wild Innocent. The issue, the the second and third albums of his are like really heavy on the escapism, and that was just like really resonating with me as an angsty teenager and like the sort of like all the throwback to like fifties R and B stuff, Detroit medley, which happens like really late in this show and and it is a medley of like a bunch of old R&B tunes just like done with like a really really high intensity was just like every, you know it was just like on a silver platter for me it was just like everything that I like loved about rock and roll cool and like seeing how much that like he loves rock and roll you know like it, I feel like his his music and his performance style is like To the point where you, you one can say he's ripping off tropes of of R and B classic performance styles and and gospel and stuff, but like I really do think that it comes from a place of like reverence, and, of course, and, and love, and and he's like taking that and 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 putting his own spin on it, and and I I do that too, you know, sure, uh, I think everyone does, yeah, uh, whether or not they admit it. But no, like, I think if you're not, I think he wears it. it on his sleeve though, because you know, Detroit Medley quarter to three. He's just like kind of known for closing out his shows with these like throwback covers. And I can't say I've ever seen the man in sleeves, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Zing. Um, too much heart to have any sleeves. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, the and like the lyrical work going on here is like, like I said, he's like peak maximalism. And like the way that I, he's always been a maximalist. That's why he plays three and a half hour shows. Right. But like, the way that you see like where and how he deploys that um that instinct or like being drawn to that is like really fascinating to me uh and in the context of his early career cuz like you look at like his first album and he was actually like pressured to make half of that first album a solo acoustic record like because because like sing nebraska first no, no. nebraska is like kind of in the middle Three or but, four uh, five sorry. nebraska is number five. five okay sorry no no six okay it goes <laughs> greetings from asbury park yes wild Inish in the east street shuffle born to run darkness on the edge of town the river nebraska born in the usa tunnel of love there you go you like tunnel of love i love tunnel of love almost i almost put that one on here but that has I felt uh, like this bril brilliant disguise on it right yeah, yeah. great yeah. record really really amazing album very rewarding to like the back half of that record is just like masterful and it's just like 
there's you know it it's got a couple songs on it that aren't my favorite kind of early on but like you kind of like get through that early part of that record and then you and then it just ends up like the 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 second half of that record is like flawless to me. Mm. anyway what i was saying is uh the the lyrical maximalism like you can you can feel like okay he's like he doesn't have like a solid band like the E Street band like exists but he's like trying to get his record deal or whatever he's doing his like coffee shops and like cafe wa gigs and he's like thinking about it very pers- purposefully um and like you know tapestry has come out and like blue and James Taylor is really popping and so like there's this singer songwriter boom happening in the early 70s and and like that's what you know atlantic records is looking for or or columbia excuse me but um and and so he kind of you see him kind of go like okay well i'm just going to be that in order to like land this deal and but like he's still is he's a maximalist guy and and if you listen to like pre all this stuff uh, like there's that compilation the promise of like his really early stuff like the Bruce Springsteen band you mm. know in like the late sixties and very early seventies and it's very East Streety it's like it's big there's a million members in the band and and there's everything is happening but you see him condense that instinct like into his lyrics uh, like on. Blinded by the light's like a perfect example. Cause like, you know, the phrase like showing his pen, you're like a literary guy, right? He's like, he's showing his pen all over the place. Right. And, and, and it's like, you can hear that he's trying to like pack eight band members into like these, these lyric hmm. phrases. Cause it's like, there's alliteration and there's metaphor and there's like every device. He's just using it all, 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 all uh, everywhere. in every lyric, every lyric has some sort of like flair, like a phonetic flair to it. Interesting. Um, but also is like, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's very showy writing, but you can just get that sense that he's trying to be huge on the coffee shop gig, you know, but it worked and he got his deal, you know? And so I'm happy I'm here, but this is only temporary. This is a stopping point. Yeah. I just, I think he just identified how to excel at something or at least how to stand out and how to, and I I think he just like, he's got a bunch going on up there. So he just (laughs) had to get, had to get it out, but he was putting it into, into the lyrics and, and as a budding lyricist at the time, having looking to someone with these like very fun to read lyrics uh, is inspiring. Cause, cause it's easier. I think when you're like, right. You know, when you're early in your writing journey, at least for me, I can only speak for myself, but like for me, it was easier to latch onto like phonetic devices in order to like feel satisfied with a lyric more so than like telling a complete narrative story or like a, a soul bearing truth. It's easier to like um, feel good about something that has like alliteration and an internal rhyme scheme. Cause then you're like, Oh, I have like built something cool out of these words. What does it mean? Eh, you know, does it does it sound good? Feel good? Shh, shh, shh. I'm trying to get through. This you thing know, here. and so his his early work is like really just like drenched in in that kind of stuff, and so it was very inspiring 
on a lyrical level and then seeing him deliver it so passionately like brings that that like deeper meaning to me sure. and watching him do that in the performance and I don't know. I just was like blown away and fascinated and inspired like to this day um, by this set list. You I know? mean, it's, it's, an, it's, it's wild and, and, and indulgent and uh, it's okay. Absolutely. It's okay. You know, you got E street shuffles 13 minutes long. <laughs> Kitty's back is 18, you know, 17 right? minutes long. Like they're really, they're really stretching out and like, you know, at this point, I'm a jazz guy, right? So, like, I don't mind a long instrumental stretch no. at all. I, I prefer it. You know, and, and, you know uh, in a band scenario like that, uh, those those are those those jams are probably super fun for everybody. I mean, there's a piece that you know is sort of like the repetition and the mundane, but there's also, I would imagine, authentic joy each time you're out there doing it like Holy yeah shit man we're doing it <laughs> one would hope you know right, that's yes. the idea is like because i realize in my band like you know it's all my name and it's all my songs me 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 and like it i i realize that that's not like there's only so much that you can ask of other people right um while retaining a genuine like joy in doing it and and, and having been a, a a member of many bands um i can say that from the other side too that like sure. you you, you want to feel like you are bringing your own voice into a musical situation and like you have value in the musical situation that you're being put in because cuz you do you know, you should, right. you should be taken seriously for the voice that you have in a given situation. And, uh, so, you know, when you get this 17 minute version of Kitty's back with like two monstrous keyboard solos in it and, and you know, like it, it's gotta be gratifying at that point in the set to just be like, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Danny Federici on the organ. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. And he gets yeah. to stretch out and just be Danny for a and, minute. And also like, I, made all this happen you know like uh, <laughs> castaway i have created yeah you know it's yeah, like yeah. um so rolling into that first show for you as a bruce fan um you're a pretty yeah, significant so I, fan i would have been listening to him for probably two years okay so did you have realistic expectations meaning like uh, not every show can be an A plus plus, right? Right. I mean, and so I, I think I went in with with pretty high expectations, and they were just totally met. Nice. It just it ruled. Nice. Clarence Clemens was still alive. Right. Everyone was alive. Like Danny Federici and Clarence Clemens were still alive. Um, and uh, I think Patty Scalfa was there. It was just it was and. And it was the only time that I got to see him with Clarence. Okay. So it was very special. Yeah. And, you know, his knees were bad. So they had this big golden throne on the stage that cool. he was sitting in. And, and he would just kind of like. Nice. Yeah. And then, and then he would like get up, and go to the front, slay his sax parts, and then go back to the throne. Everyone's like, yeah. You know. Um, and I was, remember 
Joe Poznanski's column about Clarence. Do you remember? Do you know Joe Poznanski? Star guy. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, huge Bruce fan. Uh-huh. And when when Clarence passed, he wrote a big piece about him, and I was like, Are there like a shitload of like hardcore Bruce Springsteen fans? There are that, dozens of that, us. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't know about. Yeah. Turns out. Yeah. So did two years of listening give you a chance to get relatively deep into the discography before your first show? Um or? well so okay, so at that point, I'm trying to remember, I um I mean I was uh, obviously born to run and this live record. And in that span of time magic came out okay and so there was a new bruce record that was happening like in my life you know and and in everyone's life and i think that record is good i still think that that record is probably his best of well i'd say that and like devils and dust are probably his best like 21st century albums okay um and part of that is my affinity for it because of the time that it came to me yeah. and like that, that that was the tour that I saw I'm here. Him on, but I'm here yeah. Guys. Yeah, exactly. And you guys study. Uh, yeah. Um, I think that record is really good. Um, Gypsy bikers. Great song. Uh, what's that one? Um, living in the future. Uh, a great song, but anyway, um, so it was, most of my listening would have been this live album, Born to Run, and Magic. Okay. And I think at this point, I had gone back to the previous two records as well. Interesting. Uh, and I, I spent a long time really obsessing over those first three records. Oh, wow. And to me, that like was the Bruce era that that really spoke to me. And I, I had checked in on other stuff, but it hadn't resonated yet with me it was it's really those first three albums okay that for a long time was like that was it now you know? shows two three and four uh equally amazing were they different were they similar well they were different um i think gosh i'm just trying to remember um the second time was wrecking ball tour mm. and that one was like good. Maybe my lowest ranking of the four. Not it wasn't certainly wasn't bad. Um it it you know, it was really good, but there was, you know, Clarence was gone. I think Danny was also gone. And so there was just like a different chemistry happening. And it was a bigger band. There were like a bunch of background singers and a okay. bunch of horn players. And so the arrangements were different. It came off a little less organic than like just like the E Street band, you know, kind of thing. Um, but it was a blast. I mean, it was so good. And and that was one that I, I went to with like a bunch of friends. And like as a social event, it was really spectacular, you know, and like we were all just like, we love the boss, you know, people that I worked with and stuff. Cool. And, um, yeah. And like a lot of like punk kids were at that one oh, for some reason, you know, it was just like, yes, you know, and, and we were on the floor on that one. That was, it was just great. Um, the third time was really great. I mean, the only, I, it, it was, that was the river anniversary tour. Oh, okay. So they, they did the river all the way through and then like played for another hour. It was insane. 
and and that was really special and that was like really good story time with bruce moments at that show like you know where he's just like tunes the river is about time time walks beside us and we carry our the ghosts of our regrets you know it's just like he just like in in that mode like really hardcore and 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 that album is such a party record with such uh um introspective undercurrent to it um that it just really makes for an amazing life huh. to just play it cool. all the way through it just the energy uh was through the roof and and was so cool and uh i've i've done not necessarily like exactly inspired by that but i've done a couple of shows where we just play an album all the way through and and i just always think that that's really gratifying and and for performer and showgoer i'm in on some I would like, yeah. I would hope so yeah but uh just for me yeah in this case for me as a showgoer just like amazing um and that was great and then and then recently he came back um oh in uh uh I think February of last year of last year okay or wait was it November no it was February well, I don't I don't even know I always get November and February mixed up there we it's weird stuff I, I don't know yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter in the last year he came okay and it was cold and uh i think it was february uh, it doesn't even matter no uh, this is but this is great content for your podcast and me trying to remember but uh and it was it was just really good nice and it was kind of like i was like he's getting up there you know he's getting old and i was like oh man are we in for like a long night because like the first Maybe like the first or second song, there was like a high note in the chorus and he like never got it, you mm. know? And I was like, uh oh, like Bruce is getting old. And then cut to like three hours later, I'm like screaming, you know? And I, I realized that like just he plays for so long that like that first 30 minutes of the show, like is the warm up, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And then by the end of it, his like his muscle memory and like, they he tends to put like the newer material earlier in the front and like you know by the end they're doing born to run badlands 10th avenue freeze out so he's got like you know 40 years of muscle memory just on these like churning yeah and he's just he can just do it you know and and so he's just like really ripping by the end of it and i was like damn like He's got it. Still got it. Still got it. I, I'm sorry. I doubted you. Yeah. Oh, no, for Back sure. Back in hour like, one. Yeah. Yeah. It was killer. But yeah, I mean, just, and I, I really, you know, the other thing that I was listening to a lot at the time that I discovered this uh, uh, Hammersmith Odeon show was I was really into um, like live uh, fish bootlegs. <laughs> and I like had a you know I had like a jam band phase in high school so I was listening to a lot of fish and the live stuff I was just really into listening to long-winded live recordings okay which this is definitely that and it kind of scratches that jam band itch on these like longer more out there cuts so it was just really agreeing with all the stuff and that all ties into the jazz taste yeah. and and even deep purple like a lot of this stuff is 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 jammy and you know has has roots that go back to R&B and bebop and it all kind of it all ties together. I had a jam band phase too where uh I became fishhead in like 1992 mm-hmm. and I still am. Nice. <laughs> like it's named after 
fish songs. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I mean, they I, this whole album, you know, uh, production has me thinking of the New Year's run they just did it. Madison Square Garden. Oh yeah, where I don't know how deep you got in your time, but they did Game Hinge in its entirety for the first time since like 1994, which is Trey's senior thesis. It's a like a mythical tale. Oh, that's where like the Iculus yes, stuff yeah, comes from. Yeah. Okay, with big, yeah. big, big production. Uh huh. Like with you know uh, performers and dancers and costumes, and the whole stage is got this gigantic rhombus around it because they used to there's a place where trey and tom used to go and it's called the rhombus and they would get up on top of it and write songs Hmm. um but anyway i mean it's just like i i didn't live stream it and i haven't watched it but i've seen clips and pictures and it's just like what an ordeal i mean they always do something for new year's that's Uh uh no small undertaking but uh well, I got into the the, the Halloween shows because they would yeah. do an al- yeah. they would do an album all the way through, so it's you know and it appealed to me around the time that you're seeing Bruce for the first time somewhere in the 07 to 2010 window they they jammed together. He oh really? I, I think at Bonnaroo or something like that. He <laughs> he got. I mean, you, you can. Oh no! I don't know if I want to see. It. <laughs> well, I'll I'll tell you that I. I uh, what do they play? I don't remember. Okay. Um, but if nothing else, uh, looking at the set list, you know, whatever they, maybe they did three songs together or something like that. Uh-huh. I'm totally gonna look into that. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> the um, I I clearly remember, um learning about it reading about it looking looking stuff up about it and feeling like both sides were really really jazzed like uh-huh. bruce was pumped and so was fish hey, so man. i mean success right whatever uh whatever gets you through the night <laughs> nice uh okay so then uh we leap up to 2019 yes Two Hands, Big Thief, yeah. Brooklyn-based indie folk, fourth of five, 10 tracks, 39 minutes. Who are these guys, and how'd you get turned on to them? Yeah, so are, are you not familiar? I wasn't. I gave this record a listen, but I yeah. didn't recognize any of the members' names. Uh-huh. Um, she's, uh, I mean, any. Uh, there, there's always a level of intrigue for me when there's a, a female lead vocalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Apple Music blurb actually used a fascinating word to describe um, the way that her voice comes across. But anyway, no, I had not heard of them. Yeah, I was definitely, I was looking at my list and I was like, mm, a lot of dudes, a lot of dudes on this list. But I, I think that Adrian... Don't, don't look at the wall. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of dudes. A lot of dudes. A lot of dudes. No, they're, they're everywhere. Uh-huh. Um, well, her name's Adrienne Lanker. Yes. And uh I mean I think she's just like top of the heap, like living American songwriters right now, to be honest. I, I just think that she's spectacular and just like really tapped into her own spirit and uh I'm actually taking a songwriting online songwriting course quiver that she is teaching what right now really yeah cool um through this thing called the school of song it's really good but um the quiver of singer songwriter adrian uh, lanker which i I was like 
<laughs> yeah. It, it definitely is a quiver. And then some dust in the eyes and grit in the teeth. I was like, mm. I'm, I'm liking all of what you're... Yeah, that, that nails it pretty much. Nevertheless, I apologize. Oh, no, no, no. Online course. Oh, uh, I blew out the mic. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, she she's just doing this online songwriting course, and, and it's uh, uh, it, it, there's been one session okay so far and it's already uh inspiring and, and amazing so i just i think she's really freaking cool and writes really great songs and for this band um i i think that this album is like i'm trying to think of what to to say like the album that came after this, their most recent album, mm-hmm. it's called Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. Um, and it's massive. It's like a double album. And it and it's if if that is their white album, this is like their revolver. Okay. Maybe. So because like to me, it just like they they've made these other records, these three records that are really good and have some just like really top tier songs on them and sonically you can listen to it and be like, this is an indie band from Brooklyn. You know, like I kind of get what's going on here. It's, it's excellent. It is the best that this can be, but it is like known to me. And then I, I got this album and I put it on and I was just like immediately like really taken with the intimacy of Mm -hmm. it. And the, um, it just kind of, took things to another level in terms of their like their group identity oh wow and in my opinion sure. as a listener and and um kind of being like this is who we are together because this album really has that sense to it where you can kind of like hear the floorboards creaking mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and like it's mm-hmm. it's very intimate and like you know even the that the cover of this record you know folks at home but uh i love that photo it's very good photo and they're all so tight in together mm-hmm. and it's like uh they they it's all it's like a four-headed like singular being and it's um it's very intimate and and i just think that there's a lot of beauty in there it kind of feels like 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 a crazy horse album or like one of those like really deep in despair, Neil Young records okay. like uh, okay. like tonight's the night or on the beach or something where you get that same where you can like you can hear the the voices like kind of coming <laughs> in and, you know like waving in and out of the mic and it's like not super edited and you know this album has a lot of like raw stuff on it like you know this mega jam knot has this real big gnarly guitar solo in it that's just like a lot of uh a lot of crunchy notes going on and it's just like very raw emotional guitar playing and um that's adrian playing that solo. oh wow really yeah yeah and just uh i think she's a force and and i just think that this album because if you if you if you listen to the thing straight through and then you listen to this and then you listen to dragon new warm it really is like they discovered another like a, a secret room or something. Mm. And then that room led to another world or something like that. And this is like the secret room cool. record. Um, and I don't know. Uh, also a big lyrical inspiration to me. Um, and it kind of scratches that emo itch 
for me. Like there's, you know, uh, some of the vocal delivery where she kind of bends a little out of note and there's like a lot of, uh, you know, like uh, a lot of dust in the eyes, you know, (laughs) Uh, particularly the second song, Forgotten Eyes. I just like remember that's one of those songs where it's like, I will always remember hearing it for the first time. Mm. Like there's a lot of songs that I love, but I'm not sure exactly the I can't like see the room I was in when I listened to it for the first time or something like that but that song is gonna like stick with me forever it just like really made an impact immediately and they're they're just like one of my favorite bands that's that's happening right now well I Um, I will say uh for better or for worse since I didn't know who they were uh going into the listen I and I only realized this after the fact uh expected to feel some sort of similarity to the record of yours that I listened to. Oh, and there was, but there wasn't. And the wasn't part was that I, I, I liked yours better. I mean, but it's only one listen. Uh, and, and the was, was uh, sort of a comfort or familiarity. Like, uh, like uh, uh, there's a vibe that says uh, this is a warm safe place mm-hmm. to sort of just be and do your things. I, I so I, so there was there was some similarity in that regard um and uh I was I'm was stoked to check it out. Yeah. I mean there's just a lot of moments like replaced the second to last song um which to me that song is an indicator of what is to come with the subsequent record having more of a country influence. Mm. There's kind of this like lo-fi, like borderline honky tonk thing that happens uh, on several songs on the following record. But this, the song replaced is kind of the beginning of that to me in their catalog. And, and it just has that great moment where you, she just goes, go ahead. And you know the guitar solo, you know, just they're just—it's very casual, and they're just cueing each other, and they're so in the vibe and like that—that that yeah. transcends any idea of perfection, sure, uh, that could possibly exist, yeah, um, because it just wouldn't hit. And it's like that—that that go ahead is like as much a part of the song as any other element yeah. to me. And it's like that, you know, if it happens in, if it is heard, it is part of the music, yeah, you know. I like that. It's like I. It's like the. I don't know. What is it? John Cale, the like four minutes and thirty three seconds of silence piece. You know what I'm talking about? No. There's a famous avant garde composition that I believe is John Cale. Okay. And it's just titled four minutes and thirty three seconds, and it is four and a half minutes of silence. Wow. Um, but it, it is to be performed live, and so the you know, someone comes out and sits at the piano and opens up the lid and sits there and then closes the lid and and leaves. But the idea, depending on your interpretation, the idea is that, is that, um, there is always sonic happenings present in, in your life, in the world, in the world. Yeah. And, and, it 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 all can be interpreted as like a part of something beautiful like a work of sure. art um and i don't know this is not like a freaky out there record but i think that just the casual nature of it and the 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 acceptance of incidental noises and 
um, the intimacy of it, like is accepting of that same idea that just like, it's, it's all music. If it happens between the first and the last note, it's part of the yeah. music, you know? Uh, I go back to physical graffiti again, uh, where the, which is where the track houses of the Holy appears mm-hmm. and the in between songs, there's a little, uh, somebody, Mm-hmm. You know, and Robert Plant goes cough, and then Jane Page goes and then and it's like, I love, I love that that's in there. Hell yeah! Shows 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 the humanness of the whole process. Yeah, I should have picked like an Outcast record or something with skits on it. <laughs> Wu Tang, right? Um, well, very great uh, list. Thank you very much for sharing it. Oh um, yeah, thanks for. Letting me put a DVD on there. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I was like, I wonder if he's going to kick me off. For nah, <laughs> I mean, breaking the rules. Uh, so it's, you know, uh, you're going to get, uh, I mean, the one that comes out this week, they, they threw a, an Apple Music Essentials playlist on there. I was like, we'll, we'll talk about that, but that's, mm. I'm not, I'm not mm. counting that as an album. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, and live stuff and greatest hits and just get, whatever you get what you get you know yeah i mean there there it depends on your experience but like i don't know to me the defining eagles record is like the eagles greatest hits you know it's like i've never sat down and listened not two, right or was it two? i don't know the one with the weird skull on it yeah yeah i can't remember which one that is but um it's gotta be volume one because take it easy and yes yeah peaceful easy feeling and hotel california or like like to me like uh John Prine's like one of my all time heroes, but like Great Days to me is like the John Prine record. And it's it's just like a, a career spanning two yeah. disc set. Yeah. You know, but like if you ask me what my favorite John Prine record is, I would just say it's Great Days. Yeah. You know, it's like, or the first one, because like basically the entire first record is on there too. Nice. It's like there's. Well, I know. mean, if I were to appear, uh, you know, uh, as a guest on this show, I would, uh, I was going to ask it's, you know, I actually, uh, recently made a list and it it was like, Oh, this is, there's no way five, five became 10 became 20. And in the 20, I've, there's like a couple snuck in that. So there's probably like 25. Um, but, uh, rush chronicles is Uh a two disc and it's, like I know that there's a lot more to rush and rush records than that compilation storytelling and, and exploration and uh, nuance and all these things. Um, But to me that really scratches all my rush itches. And it's just so good. So good. Yeah. Um, I like to wrap with a series of uh, goofy questions and then we'll get you out of here. Lay them on me. Um, so let's imagine that you have uh, a top 10 bucket list, right? Okay. And and yeah, four through 10 are, uh, they kind of interchange and fluctuate and maybe some things fall off and new things come in, but one through three are pretty rock solid. Yeah. So you're given all of the necessary resources, <clears throat> excuse me, to hammer out your top three. What's happening first? Oh, this is just like a life bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. I was like waiting for like a list of what, man. <laughs> um, uh, oh, okay. So you got me thinking about my entire life. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> number one. I don't know. Oh my God. Wait. Okay. So there are 10 items. Just because it's a round number, right? Yes. Your bucket list has 10 but things on But we're focusing it. on the odd number of three. Because they're the the, the, the upper, top. The upper echelon. Yes. You're given all the resources to do all three of those things. What's the one you're... What's number one, essentially? Um, tour extensively with my full band. Cool. I love it. Uh, not at a loss. Breaking even is... Breaking even... Okay. Breaking even on a, a tour that is longer than one week. Yeah. With my full band. I've make, never make been sure able this, to... Make sure that box of CDs gets in the van. Yeah, Come yeah. On, oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah, I've never been able to tour with the full band. Uh, and that is just like really something that's got to happen for me. So cool. I, I will just put that at number one. I love it. A, a realistic thing. It's got to happen. Um, number two. Um, you know that... Oh my God. I, I feel like a fool because I can't remember what it's actually called, but there's an ancient temple in Ireland um, that is a very wide dome. Um, and it's like older than Stonehenge. And it is, it's a, a monument to the winter solstice. And every year on the sunrise of the winter solstice, the sun shines directly into the center of this temple and illuminates all these ancient. Uh, paintings and engravings like some uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark shit yeah cool. very much like that uh, I would really like to see that okay so we will just go ahead and put that at number two okay um, and number three all time life bucket list item is for me <laughs> to <laughs> Um, you know, gosh, I don't, I don't really know. Um, I wasn't expecting. That's okay. No, 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 no. no. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to maybe edit it a little bit. (laughs) We're going to get there. I, um, you know, I would just like to, uh, I'd like to, I'm just trying to think of like, really like places to go, you know? Sure. Um, Japan's up there for me. Yeah, Japan would be amazing. See like Mount Fuji or something. Friends of mine just went there on tour actually. Just oh wow! Through nice um, and came back and said it was incredible. They said that Tokyo is like the quietest place they've ever been, which was like really a shock to me. Like, uh, like I, I don't know. In my mind, it's like anime culture, like loud <laughs> or like scooters. flashing lights yeah, and yeah. scooters or whatever. And they said no, like. And they're these they're like two pretty reserved people and they were like, No, like us like walking around just like chatting like this in the middle of the day, we were like the loudest thing happening in like downtown, like city center Tokyo. And I was like, No way. That's that's wild. And it seems really cool. I mean you know, if there's some sort of like archive of um you know, okay, no, no, I know what it is. Okay, I would like to go to New York City and look through the Arthur Russell archives. Arthur Russell. Arthur Russell is 
he didn't make the list, uh, but he is one of my all-time favorite musical artists. Okay. Um, he's a New York guy. He, uh, he, um, victim of the AIDS epidemic, mm. uh, passed in the early nineties. Okay. But he was, he was active in m- mostly from like the seventies through the early nineties. Um, and left behind like a really incredible body of work. Most of it has come out since his passing. Like he, he kind of didn't finish projects and like kind of just like made stuff and then put it on the shelf and then kept making stuff, just constantly creating. And he left behind this insane body of work that Mm. is like, it's like ever you think like they, I've seen it all. Like there's no way. And then like every five years they'll drop like another 20 recordings and they're like incredible. You know, it's just like, it's very inspiring. You should check them out. Oh, um, for sure. And uh, but there's an archive in the New York City Public Library um, where you can sit down and go through his tapes and his and just like papers and, and cool um, stuff like that. But um, you do need a New York Public Library card, so I'd have to figure that out. But anyway, right. number three on the bucket list. Okay. Uh, uh, spend spend a day or two with the Arthur Russell Archives at New York Public Library. That'd be amazing. Lunch with anyone dead or alive, who are you choosing and why? Oh, I had a, like a really good answer to this question recently. And oh shit. It was really good. Um it was somebody um it was like it was a it was a um I don't know. Uh screw it. I think Harrison Ford would be a funny, okay. a funny lunch date. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> like, I just feel like, I just like want to like, even if he was like grumpy that he had to have lunch with me, that would be perfect. I think it would be, you know, yeah. or, or we would just like get baked and go get a burger somewhere I th- I there. Think I think he's, <laughs> I think he's baked around the clock. I know. I, I just I, think he would be a good hang. And I think you're also not supposed to talk to him about Star Wars. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare. Right, right. I'd be horrified to bring that up. Yeah. Um, I would, you know what I would ask him about is um, Sergio Mendez, the because um, he when he was he was a carpenter before he was an actor, right? Did you, uh, uh, when he was like when he was young, he was living in L.A., hadn't got his acting gigs yet, and he was a carpenter, and he built Sergio Mendez's home studio. Really? Isn't that wild? So there's these really hilarious photos of like him with like long hair, and he's like, you know, and like him and Sergio, and Sergio's like. You know, like they're just they they're buds, you know, because he wow. like he like built his studio nice. for him. Cool. Yeah. I'd probably ask him about that. Heck yeah. yeah. Uh you're given the ability to visit your past self at any age. What age are you choosing and what are you saying? Oh man. Um I would probably I would probably go to myself when I was like twenty four and be like, make a decision. <laughs> <laughs> about oh just St- anything <laughs> anything, anything? <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, just anything <laughs> true or false it is okay and acceptable to wear the shirt the t-shirt of the band whose show you're going to oh that's fine who cares so did you rock any bruce merch to any of those shows no i don't really have any bruce merch. okay interesting clothing wise okay gotcha um or really otherwise i i kind of just like have his records. That's probably, uh, I don't even have a poster nice. or anything, but, uh, but yeah, just live your best life. Okay. Be a fan. Okay. Show your love. 
you know, like who, who if someone thinks that's not cool, that's their problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like if you, if you want to show as much love as you can in that way, just, just do it. Gotcha. Let it out. Show it. Okay. Uh, complete this for me, please. The world would become an immediately better place in which to live if only the genocide in Gaza stopped immediately. Okay. There we go. Um, I love all those answers. Um, Fritch Hutchison, music, music, music on Facebook. Uh, there is a Fritch Hutchison band camp. Sure. And then, uh, did I pronounce it right the first time? Frite underscore Orca? Yeah, yeah, sure. F-R-I-T-T-E underscore Orca. And is any one of those places better than the other if uh, one wants to keep tabs on where you're gigging and what you're releasing and that kind of... Uh, I, I'm the most active on Instagram. Instagram, yeah. okay. And that, if I make a hard post, it uh, most of that transfers over onto the Facebook Um but I am the most directly active on Instagram. Cool. If you want to message me or get a hold of me or right. something. I appreciate you doing this, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking me. It's Thanks. been a pleasure. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, uh, again, pre- appreciate uh, you, you trekking out on the uh, the old snow day hey, man. here in January, KC. I'm not scared. Thanks, man. Yeah. See you. Yeah. Thank you, man.